Scarlett sits in her idling truck outside of Benny's condominium complex. The teen hero grips her steering wheel and stares ahead. It has been a week since she last picked up Benny for school. You can do this! It's just a paradigm-altering conversation with the person who means the world in the world to you. What could possibly go wrong? <sighs> she begins idling forward before slamming on the brakes. <laughs> What if he isn't ready to talk? Maybe, maybe he's still processing. God, what was he thinking? Did he not listen to Johnny's story? Ugh, to hell with it. I'm just gonna pick him up and we'll just sit in the truck until we figure it out. Scarlett drives her truck into the complex and follows the familiar path to her best friend's house. As the turn towards his row approaches, she speeds up and heads back out to the main road. Nope, not today, not today, not today. E-Railed contemplatively stares at a monitor as a recording of the Minnow Terror attacking Vermilion High School plays on a loop. The dinosaur scientist freezes the video on a frame of Jay's panicked face. With a few keystrokes, the image zooms in until Jay's face fills the entire monitor. What are the odds you would be there? Is my perceptive sister actually right? Has my curiosity with you gotten the best of me? Savitiri, pull up the last contact with Emerald Raptor. The energy output you're looking for would have to come from a deep-sea submersible like the prototype at Cerium Tech. It has the Newtonium Polar Stabilizers to maintain the output you're looking for. Any thoughts on isolating disparate energy waves? Anywho, hope this helps and good luck with your research. Hmm, energy waves? Savatiri, respond! A cadmium bubble resonator will give proper results. Don't forget to reroute the subsonic waves through the zinc gluon generator to maximize accuracy. I know we're not supposed to inquire about details, but I'm truly intrigued. Message saved. Send through encrypted channel. Of course! Locate the Cerium tech and any and all information on their submersible program. Jay might very well be the key to not only ending the Guardians, but may help us usurp Tyric Mir. 
sending another message to your pet surface dweller, my smitten sibling. Have they found out that you had to hunt down their identity like a thief in the night? Why, yes, my suspicious sibling. I was sending a message to my contact, who willingly gave me their information. Did they not think you were a surface-dwelling female at the time? Yes. And now you are pretending to be another surface-dweller? Yes. You never cease to confound me, dear brother. Regardless of how I made contact, they have just provided me with the very thing that vindicates my removal from the Science Council. Erailed is standing at a podium while angrily staring at a collection of dinosaur scientists on a dais. The elder scientists on the raised platform, turned away from an impatient raptor, are in the midst of a spirited debate. One elder whose stout frame and spiked head frill almost hid his nearby compatriots from sight gesticulates wildly at a long-necked and slender-built figure who nods slowly and emphatically. Once the two flanking dinosaurs finish their debate, the center figure with kite-shaped upright plates along their back leans forward and addresses Erailed. You stand before the Council accused of undermining the Empire and squandering resources. How do you plead? Are you not ashamed of this pointless pageantry? It should be below true intellectuals like ourselves. Watch your tone, young scholar. Your previous indiscretions have only been tolerated because of your success with the Goobles. By success, I believe you mean solving the problem my esteemed colleagues failed to do for generations. Enough! Your intelligence is not on trial here, but your arrogance. Your fixation on this Bahamut project must end. Tirich Mir himself has ruled that this course of study is a fool's errand. Then you all lack vision. I am a breakthrough away from revolutionizing how we expand the Empire. We, should we not strive to minimize the loss of life? My behemoths will end wars before they begin. Your arrogance knows no bounds. You question the direction of our lord. You should think, River, that you have just been stripped of your place in the council and sent on expedition. Expedition? That's the work of an apprentice. For how long will this expedition last? Back in the present, Hera stares dumbfounded at her brother. Her smaller sibling's eyes are filled with the same anger he had all those months ago. The behemoth, you still have not let that go? My poor obsessive brother, the behemoth is just a story told to younglings. The behemoths were just great warriors like me. I am the behemoth. There were never gargantuan beasts. If there were, I would be the first in line to tame them. Why am I not surprised you would not understand? Why would my own sister choose to support me? Please tell me this is your first attempt at humor, little brother. 
Have you not wondered why you weren't simply banished to the Forgotten Lands for impudence? I had to convince Tyrak Mir himself that you still held value for the Empire. Why would the sword of the Empire stick its neck out for a weak, useless scientist? I have never spilled blood on the battlefield, and I've never brought honor to our family name by any heroic deeds. Is that how you see yourself? Dearest brother, you single-handedly gave the Empire its infinite army. For that, you are valuable to Tyrak Mir. Beyond that, you are invaluable to me. Little Gecko, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. From hatchery to the Valley of Forever, I will always have your back. You have not called me Little Gecko since we were younglings. You know I hate it. <laughs> when you stop behaving like a petulant youngling, Little Gecko, I'll stop calling you Little Gecko. Fair enough. We have an opportunity to solve two problems with one stroke. To drain Harbinger of that energy they absorbed, we need to acquire a Newtonium Polar Stabilizer. As luck has it, there is one that you can fetch for me if you are up for the task. Am I now just an errand runner for you? I'm just trying to afford you the opportunity to face the Guardians. I know you prefer action over planning. Unless you would prefer to go over the document Jay sent so we can best adapt the Terran technology with our own, and I will go engage in fisticuffs. As much as I would love to see you engage in fisticuffs, I will go retrieve your bobble. Jay absent-mindedly reaches out for a piece of toast at the Terra family dinner table as they stare intently at their laptop screen. Their hand pauses inches from the toast as a notification sound goes off. You've got mail. As their eyes scan the message, their hand moves from the toast and grabs a pen. The young hero begins to furiously write on a notepad. <sighs> Acadian bubble resonator. I think I might have one in the lab, or, or Doc might have one in his collection. God, why didn't I think of the zinc gluon generator? Jellybean, you know the rules. No laptops at the table. Mom, this is really important. Cleverboy93 just sent me some info that might help me fix the... The project me and my friends have been working on. Haven't you just become a social butterfly? This clever boy, you still don't know their name? Isn't that a little suspicious? You have been talking every day for almost a month. That's how the internet works. But wouldn't it make it easier to know who they really are? What they really look like? That's just not how my friendship works with them. They've never asked for my real name or, or, or anything. We're just two minds bouncing ideas back and forth across the globe. It's fun to have someone who really understands what I'm talking about. Well, what about your new friends? They're great! Hanuel is really insightful when it comes to engineering and problem solving, and Scarlet... That's odd. Who could that be? Be a deer and get the door. I don't want to burn these pancakes.
PJ? Scarlet? What happened? What's wrong? Why <laughs> would something be wrong? Well, I, I don't normally get unexpected guests at breakfast time, so I assumed there was an emergency afoot. Sorry, I didn't know you had an unexpected guest window. <laughs> Ooh, what's for breakfast? It smells good. Wouldn't a schedule make them expected? Jellybean, who is it? It's Scarlet, Mrs. T. I was just stopping by to see if Jay needed a ride to school today. Scarlet, what a welcome surprise. You're just in time for some of my famous banana blueberry pancakes. You are not leaving until I make you a plate. Mm, oh, these are great, Mrs. T. Thanks. Thank you, dear. I'll pack you a to-go box in case you want them for lunch. That'll be awesome. I forgot to pack one. Uh, not that I, I don't like having additional options to get to school, but don't you usually pick up Benny? I'm sure he'll figure something out. No, isn't Benny the one who kissed you after the game last week? Mom! What? It's not a secret. Everybody at the game saw it. Uh, uh yeah, he, he blindsided me. I'm trying not to think about it. Scarlet, ignoring what you don't want to deal with doesn't change things. It doesn't make things go away. Scarlet, I'm sorry. Mom, she doesn't want to deal with it right now. Let's talk about literally anything else. Fine. Then what happened to your morning exercise sessions? The five of you were going out almost every day, and then you just stopped. That's a little complicated. Is this the thing that we're not talking about? No, not really. Our equipment broke and we're just waiting on new parts. I can't believe Jelly Mom! Jay couldn't fix whatever was broken. They always complain when I bring in repair people. Mom, I can do it twice as fast and for free. <laughs> I don't sound like that. <laughs> oh my god, you do. We shouldn't butt the mercury ion into the shift loop. Oh, two can play at this game, mate. <coughs> Benny kissed me, and I don't want to deal with it because dealing with my emotions is not cool. Scarlet, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> is that how we sound to you? <laughs> we need to work on your American accent. <laughs> Come on, we don't want to be late. Don't forget your lunches. I made you blueberry banana pancake sandwiches. I know it sounds weird, but the peanut butter goes great with pancakes. I wasn't sure if you liked pop, Scarlet, so I gave you a pop and a bottle of water. Thanks, Mum. Uh, Scarlet, I'm just going to go grab my bag. Jay disappears out of the kitchen and Scarlet gathers the lunches and begins to head towards the door. Scarlet, could you wait a moment? Uh, um, everything okay, Mrs. T? Honey, my mom's senses are going off, and I don't know your relationship with your mom. But I need to give you some quick advice. You need to stop avoiding Benny and the kiss. Nothing is ever fixed by doing nothing. What am I supposed to do? He's my best friend. I don't know. Only you know what you really want. You can start by figuring that out first. Then you can go talk to Benny. Best friends are something you don't just walk away from. I'll try. Thanks again for breakfast. You're welcome here anytime, honey. 
Our kitchen is your kitchen. Scarlet begins to move to the front door before abruptly turning around and returning to the kitchen. Uh, Mrs. T, hypothetically speaking, if I needed to figure things out by not going to school, would it be okay if a certain someone in a green jacket kept me company? You think you could actually convince them to skip school? I'm from the school of asking for forgiveness is easier than permission. (laughs) And what, hypothetically, would you be doing on this outing? Just a nature walk. Getting away from the town helps me think. No shenanigans? I guarantee no shenanigans or tomfoolery. Jay could use some tomfoolery if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) When you're done, come by the house for dinner. I'm making fajitas. The duo of Scarlett and Jay leave the Terra household and begin the drive towards Vermilion High School. So I really think I might be able to isolate the signal from our bracelets and find where Gaia is actually broadcasting from. So we could find it right now? Yeah, I have the tracker in my bag. I was going to make the adjustments Cleverboy93 mentioned after school and then see if we could start the hunt this weekend. Why wait? Um, Scarlet, I think that was the turn for the school. We're not going to school today. Your mom said I need to talk to Benny once I figure out how I feel, but I have him in half my classes, so not talking to him isn't an option. I don't usually skip school, and when I say usually, I mean never. I have never not been at school. How have you never missed a day of school? Never really wanted to. Even when I burnt off my eyebrows and a large chunk of my hair in the third grade trying to build a low orbit rocket, I I didn't miss school. Granted, I was called Jay Luther for two years after that, so maybe it wasn't the first idea. You've never been tempted to play hooky? I saw Ferris Bueller. Seemed way too exciting. Plus, I, I really like those certificates that you get at the end of the year. Listen. You and I are going to find Gaia and fix the bracelets. That's going to be better than any certificate. The nutrition bell rings and Benny pushes his way through the crowd of students milling about during their break time. The occasional student slows his stride as they recognize the star quarterback and hero of the homecoming game. Benny, dude, that game was amazeballs. Thanks, uh, Nick. Uh, it's Rick. I totally didn't think we had a chance at halftime, and then you guys just kept pounding them and pounding them. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Listen, uh, have you seen Scarlet? The girl you were making out with after you scored that badass touchdown? (sighs) Yeah. You looking to get your Mac on before the next period? (laughs) Nice. No, I... Have you seen her or not? Sorry, dude. I haven't, but I'm sure there are more than a few chicks out here who would want a Mac on the Stark UB. Benny stops his trek through the crowd and turns to his irritating follower. Taking a quick step towards him, Benny locks eyes and leans in close. Hey, Nick, have you ever seen the inside of a dumpster? It's, uh, Rick. And what? The large dumpsters around the campus. Have you ever wondered what it's like inside them? (laughs) No. If you talk to me again the rest of the year, I will make certain that you see the inside of every dumpster on this campus before I graduate. 
Benny turns away as a terrified student scurries away. He scans the crowd and begins to make a beeline towards Gwen and Hanuel, who are sitting with Desdemona and Reginald. Uh, I am not in the mood for the pretentious princess. I'm sorry. I think I blacked out for a minute. Can you just repeat what you just said? I said I'm sorry. Nope. That doesn't sound right. I've known you most of my life, Desi, and you've never apologized for anything. Even when you crashed your bike into Stephanie Harlewood's bike and she broke her ankle in the fifth grade. You made her apologize for scratching your bike. Why are you apologizing now? <laughs> I totally forgot about her. I wonder where she is now. She's in her third period civics class, Reggie. She literally sits behind you. No, that's not her. She used to have, like, really big glasses and really curly hair. There's this crazy new invention called contacts. And I taught her how to straighten her hair in middle school. She's been doing it for years. You make me sad. This is different. I could have died. That thing was tearing everything apart and you guys saved me. You didn't have to do that. I know we don't hang out as much as we used to, but I still like to think that we're friends. I wasn't going to let something hurt one of my best friends. Then why does it feel like you hate me all the time now? Just because we don't spend every free minute with you doesn't mean we hate you. We just have other responsibilities. I know who's in every club on this campus. You haven't signed up for anything new. What has been keeping you guys so busy? Well, it's not exactly a school thing. It's kind of hard to explain, but we're sort of doing community service. <laughs> so you two, the nerd and the two charity cases, are out doing what? Cleaning up the highway? Cleaning up the beaches? Dude, what the hell? We're in the middle of a beautiful reconciliation moment and you have to go all negative. You don't have to like them, but at least try being respectful. Not that hard, man. Reginald, we're trying to be nice. Trying to start over again? Is this about trying to have extracurriculars for your college applications? Because I know a ton of ways to make your application pop that beat picking up garbage with people who usually exist outside of your social circle. Benny slides into the bench in between Gwen and Desdemona. He has a large smile on his face and puts his arm around the homecoming queen. Well, I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Desi. Oh, hi Benny. I didn't expect to see you. Uh, why? Because I should be out begging for scraps to eat? No, I just assumed you and Scarlet would be off somewhere sucking face. Scarlet and I do not suck face. We're not looking to get our Mac on. We kissed one time, and that doesn't mean anything, clearly. What's the matter? Your kissing skills that bad she's avoiding you? That's really sad for you. <laughs> Did we not just have this conversation about being negative? You are what you put into the universe, Reggie. And right now, you're being a grade A douchebag. What? I didn't say that she ran off to live in whatever trash can she's from. This is me being nice. Everyone, just take a chill, because I can totally feel the testosterone level starting to rise. We're going to go before this turns into a whole big thing, but there's one last thing I need to do. 
or better yet, need to ask. Desdemona reaches across the small lunch table and grabs Hanuel's hand. A gleaming smile spreads across her face and her eyes have a sparkle to them as she focuses on the rose-clad teen. Um, hey, Des. So, superstar. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. So, you know that I've always wanted to win the Queen Trifecta. I really thought I had it last year, but Missy Gunderson got the sympathy vote at last year's Winter Formal. She broke both of her legs saving that cat from a tree. Who wouldn't vote for that? So you want me to go dress shopping? I'm good, but I don't know if any dress beats cat hero. Typically, I'd say find out what your date's gonna wear. But we both know you're gonna dictate the color. Doesn't matter who you're going with. So that makes things a lot easier. I actually don't mind the color selection of my date. So what color did your fellow choose? He's a fan of pink. Bold choice. Not a lot of people can pull off that color palette. So who is the guy? I don't think I know anyone offhand that fits the bill. Is it Jordy? I thought he was still with, uh, Caitlin. Anuel? Though, Jordy's more of a magenta than pink when I think about it. Anuel. Well, that's, that's not a diss or anything. You just need a complexion closer to mine. I think he's figured it out. It's perfect. You are the most fashionable person at this school outside of myself, of course. So we are guaranteed to be the best dressed at the dance. That's not a lie. We would cut the striking image. Plus, our combined social net worth would allow us an unprecedented voter demographic. Just look at your new little group. You've got a geek, a freak, and a jock. That's perfect. Hanuel pulls his hand from Desdemona's and leans away from the homecoming queen. He pushes his hands together and rests them under his nose, all the while locking eyes with a smiling Desdemona. Do you even know why I wear pink every day? Is it because my grandma used to obsessively watch Steel Magnolias when I was growing up? No. Is it because I never learned how to do laundry and I'm constantly staining my whites with red? Again, no. Is it because this color perfectly accents my complexion? It does. But that's not the reason. Pink is the color of compassion. That is the type of energy I'm choosing to put out in the world. I want the universe to know that my heart is open to it. But... I don't want to take away your shine because apologizing is a momentous amount of growth for you. But... I'm not about seeing people like you do. What did I say? The fact that you don't see it is the problem. I love you, Desi, but I'd rather not spend an evening wincing as you unconsciously insult half our class. An upset Desdemona quickly gets up from the table, followed by Reginald. The duo takes a few steps away before Desdemona turns back to the still-sitting Benny, Hanuel, and Gwen. I'm sorry, I'm not all kumbaya or whatever. That's not what he meant, Desi. You know what? Forget him. They want you to change? I think you're perfect. I'll wear whatever color you want, and I promise we'll have a better time than them. As Reginald and Desdemona disappear into the crowd of students enjoying their break time, Benny continues to scan the crowd. For a moment, he thinks he sees Scarlet and stands up quickly, 
only to slowly sit down. She's not at school today. Her truck wasn't in the lot when we got here. Has she seriously not spoken to you since the incident? What's with the air quotes? And why are you calling what happened the incident? Last time I mentioned you guys making out on the football field, you got a little testy. We didn't make out. It was one kiss. It was... it was barely a kiss. You kissed for ten seconds. By no definition is that barely a kiss. How do you know it was ten seconds? The AV club was recording the game, and Scotty told me it was at least that long. Oh man. What was I thinking? I did exactly what Johnny said not to do. You can't unring a bell. A relationship does not depend on how well we understand someone, but it depends on how well we avoid misunderstanding. Hanuel's right. Obviously. We all know Scarlett has always been a little... Bizarre. Unique. Unconventional in how she expresses her emotions. You threw the biggest curveball in the world at her, and now you need to let her process it. The ball's in her court, and all you can do is wait. How long? As long as she needs. A small underwater explosion startles a school of fish. Debris is shot upwards from a rocky crag hundreds of yards from the Dragon Cove shore. Emerging from this new crevice is Hera. Her massive dinosaur-like build squeezes from the explosion site and begins a long swim towards the surface. With her club strapped upon her back, she only seems to be wearing a clear dome overhead that is attached to her shoulders by a small, elaborate collar. This rebreather allows her to spend a great deal longer underwater than her already impressive lung capacity would. I am en route to your submersible, dearest brother. Could you have used any less explosives? I barely was able to squeeze through the hole. Sister of mine, I made sure the explosion was to fit your last recorded measurements. Is there a chance that you've gained some mass since we've been stationed here? Are you questioning my physical fitness regimen? When was the last time you did more than stir that awful tea you drink every morning? Is it my fault I'm blessed with a superior metabolism? Keep your eyes peeled. Our senses showed there was more than just the submersible in your area. The surface dwellers might have additional security for you to shed a few pounds with. When I return to base, you and I will have a long discussion about Sweet Rivers' talents. The mountainous reptilian has stopped their upward ascent as she finds that the submersible she was sent to infiltrate is now under attack by a massive underwater creature. The cone-like body of the beast is over three meters long, while six thick tentacles extend another three meters from it. The skin of the aquatic entity holds black porphyritic texture and flows with the fluidity that contradicts its rocky appearance. Hira is taken aback as the beast turns and opens its toothy maw. 
dark red magma flows and erupts with steam as it ingests a chunk of the sub pulled off by a tentacle. Brother, do you remember when we were younglings and you lost that bet with me for 20 Selros? What bet? About the magma squids? I was certain they were real. It made sense to me that a beast like that could exist. But there's never been any evidence of it, so it was just a childhood dream, I suppose. I owe you that 20 Selros back. What is going on, sister? A magma squid is attempting to ingest the submersible. That is both terrible and astounding! You must defeat this beast! <laughs> was there ever a scenario where I wasn't going to kill this thing? Sister that I love, I know your bloodlust is strong and that you haven't had an apple opportunity to vent your frustration and rage. It would behoove you to take this creature back alive. Can you not just do an autopsy on its corpse? Stopping this monstrosity will be no easy task. Who better to conquer the mythological magma squid than the fabled behemoth herself? This shouldn't be any more difficult than that blasted hydra I fought in the second great incursion. Hera quickly swims toward the magma squid and is able to get within an arm's reach as the powerful cephalopod remains focused on dismantling the struggling submersible. She wraps her muscular arms just below the pure black eyes of the squid and begins to exert tremendous pressure. The panicked creature begins to flail its tentacles at its new irritant. The barbed suckers tear into Hira's flesh, but she does not break her grip. You will have to do better than that. These are but flesh wounds. Disengaging with the craft, the squid grips one of Hira's arms with two tentacles and breaks her grasp. Descending deeper into the ocean, the beast tries in vain to pull the struggling reptilian into its mighty jaws. Sister, far be it from me to give you combat advice, but the depths it is taking you quickly exceed your tolerance levels. Your concern is noted. How important is it that it survives? It's not more important than you, but this might very well be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You are lucky that I value you so much. The jaws of the magma squid open, and Hira is pulled towards a massive beak that is spewing a lava-like bile. The first spray coats Hira's arm and begins to burn her flesh. I will not be a meal for the likes of you. This club was forged from ferrosaur skulls and tempered in the flames of Mount Grand. Try digesting this. Jamming her club into the open beak, she wrestles herself free as the magma squid gags and tries to dislodge the weapon. Hira begins to pummel the beast between its eyes with her fists. With a final mighty headbutt, the limbs of the sea creature finally go lax. 
is ready to be picked up, brother. I am on my way to get your toy. This is one of the reasons you are my favorite sister. Is the other reason that I am your only sibling, my favorite brother. Let us not ruin a beautiful moment by muddling it up with facts. Favorite sister. The submersible is heading for the surface. It would be beneficial if you didn't have to fight whatever is coming to rescue them. Hira pulls herself to the top of the submersible just as excited scientists rush out a hatch. They congregate Hira, undisturbed by her size or dinosaur features. That was amazing! You, you saved us from that beast with your bare hands! That is what happened, little surface dweller. Where did it come from? Where did you come from? I've never met a hero before. Am I supposed to bow or something? <laughs> Bowing is unnecessary. Have your kind never interacted with a magma squid before? We had no idea what we were dealing with, but we knew we were going to be okay when the Green Guardian showed up. Hira lifts the scientist off the ground and pulls them toward her until they are nose to nose. The scientist's legs dangle, feet off the ground. What did you call me? G green Guardian, you saved us and you're green so I extrapolate- Bring me the Newtonium Polar Stabilizers or forfeit your pathetic lives. Jay and Scarlet make their way through a thick forested area on the outskirts of Dragon Cove. The pair have been following Jay's tracking device for almost an hour, and the young inventor has slowed her hike to an almost standstill. Scarlet walks a few more strides before noticing her friend has stopped in their tracks. Jay, we can't stop for every flower and fungus. You promised after we stopped for those dragonflies we wouldn't stop until we found the source. I just keep thinking of page 37 of the Vermilion High Student Handbook. What, which states how long we're supposed to observe flora and fauna? It's the attendance policy. So now that you've mentioned it, there is a disappointing amount of rules about nature in the handbook. I told you that nobody's going to care we missed a day. Aren't you worried about subsection C of the attendance policy? Just to save us time in the future, I have never, nor will I ever, read a policy. What is subsection C? They call to notify your parents if you're not in school. There is a greater than zero chance that my mum might freak and call the police. She's not going to call the cops. I know we terrors seem calm and collected, but... <laughs> What? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you were joking. Go on. She's a mom. She's going to worry. If I can guarantee she won't... Will you relax and have fun? Far be it from me to say anything is nigh impossible, but this is one of those situations. She knows. She knows? She does. How? I told her, or more like I asked her before we left your house. She seemed pretty excited about the idea. My mother, the woman who has never even had a late library fee, is condoning skipping school. That... that... that makes zero sense. What can I say? I can be fairly charming when I have to be. Now that you don't have to worry about parental retribution, can we please have fun? What about you? Aren't your parents going to be upset that you're not in school? <laughs> They're not going to care. They never do. 
I don't know your parents and and neither does Benny, which is a whole other conversation that we are going to have to have. But I think they'd be worried to get a call and not know where you are. Just drop it, Jay. I don't want to talk about my parents. Scarlet turns and begins to briskly walk away from Jay. The green-clad teen stands for a minute, watching their friend's black ensemble move farther away. A look of confusion turns to one of sadness, before finally settling on steely determination. Jay quickly moves to catch up and block Scarlet's path. No! I know we haven't been friends long, and I'm not the best at reading facial expressions, but even I can tell there is something wrong. You said I'm not allowed to talk about Benny, and now I'm not allowed to ask about your parents? I have just one question I want to ask, then. What? Are we friends? Of course we are. Why are you... Why would you even ask that? Friends are there when you're going through bad times. And you're going through one right now, Scarlet. And I know I'm not Benny, but he is not a viable option at this juncture. But I am. And I am here, and I am trying to help you. What do you want to know? You want to know that I'm afraid that I just lost my best friend because he went stupid and he kissed me? Or, or do you want to talk about how crappy my parents are compared to yours? I'm... I'm sorry, I just... You're the smartest person I've ever met, so maybe you're the one to give me the answers. Do you ever wonder why when we got hit with the fear gas from the Minotaur that my fear was an old mail carrier? Do I look like a type of person to be afraid of the postal service? No, I, I just assumed it was a manifestation or something, like how I had Dr. Alistair. The mail carrier represents the worst day of my life. It's the day I realized I was worthless. I'm sorry, but I don't follow. How did the mail carrier make you feel worthless? That mail carrier delivered the last letter I ever received from my parents. It was almost two years ago. That doesn't make any sense. Have you not seen your parents in two years? Where have you been staying? Who do you live with? Scarlet slowly slides to the ground and sits with her head in her hands, staring into the distance. Jay cautiously sits within an arm's reach of their friend, with a look of mixed concern and sadness. This freshman year, I came home from school and they weren't home, which wasn't out of the ordinary. My parents had a tendency to put their wants and needs first, so if there was a concert or a party they wanted to go to, they just went. I learned how to fend for myself pretty young. After two days, I got a little worried. After a week, I got scared because I was running out of food in the house. I was sitting on the porch waiting for the mailman to show up with a welfare check so I could forge my mom's name and buy some more groceries when he delivered a single white envelope. Oh God, Scarlet. You found out your parents died by letter. <laughs> I wasn't that lucky. The letter I got was from my parents. They decided that the only way they could live their best life was to cut away all of the old life that was slowing them down. Namely, me. 
They left me the keys to my dad's truck, wrote some bullshit about me being strong and this would only make me stronger, and wished me the best of luck. So they just... Yeah. And you've been homeless the whole yeah. time? Took the bank a few months for clothes on the house, but... Pretty much. This is why Benny hasn't been to your house. There is no house to go to. You've been living in your truck for two years. Why didn't you say anything? I don't live in my truck. I... I live at the school. I have gate keys and locker room keys because I'm the manager of the football team. I sneak in after the custodian leaves. Coach Sampson has a couch in his office that I use. I didn't say anything because people will either pity me or call CPS. I'll take a lumpy couch and cafeteria leftovers over either of those options. Scarlet stands up and brushes leaves and dirt from her pants. Reaching down, she helps Jay to their feet and the pair continue into the woods at a leisurely pace. This is why I never tell people this, Jay. The look on your face. I don't want people to think of me that way. I don't pity you. I empathize. Or is it sympathize? I always get those two scars. If Dr. Alistair were here, I, I am sure he'd be all... Well, Nick's terror, if you listen to my lecture on... Jay? Jay? You're on the wrong train of thought. Again. Sorry. Well, I, I can't say that I don't feel really bad that you went through all of this, but I am in awe of you. I can barely fend for myself when my parents go away for the weekend. I can't imagine being on my own for years with no support. You're, you're amazing. You know, you could always stay at my place. We have an extra room. I'm, I'm sure my mum and dad wouldn't mind. <laughs> God, it's not that easy. Your parents are good people. They're going to call CPS because it's the right thing to do. And I, I, I'm not going into the system. Did you forget that my mum is apparently now a proponent to juvenile delinquency and rule breaking? She would never do anything that would hurt you or put you in a situation that you don't want to be in. Our guest room has got to be better than hiding in a school all by yourself. I'll think about it. The handheld device that Jay crafted in her lab begins to beep. The duo stop walking and excitedly look at each other. Uh, beep, beep, beeping's a good thing, right? Definitely. It means we finally stumbled upon a matching signal. Seems like it's coming from just over there, just on the other side of the creek. Uh, what are we looking for? Alien technology? And what does that look like? Alien? Thanks, that helps a lot. 
I couldn't even begin to fathom the alien designs that got this technology here. The fact that the orbs were liquid metal means we could be looking for literally anything. Oh, how about a hatch? Yeah, it could be a hatch. Could be a door. Could be a, a false bottom of a tree, for all we know. No, look, literally, I found a hatch. Scarlet brushes away some moss to reveal a circular hatch slightly more than one meter wide. The material the hatch is made of has the appearance of stone, but as Scarlet taps on it, it is revealed to be metallic. A small disc the size of the discs on their bracelets is glowing a dull black light. As Jay draws near, a second disc begins to glow a muted green. Oh, that is absolutely brilliant! The liquid metal that makes up our bracelets and our suits is also part of the hatch. It's able to morph its appearance and texture to appear like stone until one of the bracelets is close. Oh, I hadn't even considered that our suits might have camouflage potential. So, how do we open it? Is there a magic word? Do our bracelets or rings turn into keys? Uh, there doesn't appear to be any keyholes or, or even a handle. I, I think the only way this is going to open is if the rest of the team is going to be here. There's a gas station a mile or two up the road. Let's head back to the truck and I'll pay Chanuel. The dinosaur scientist E-Railed studies multiple displays as Harbinger's powered-down form floats motionless in a tank of vitray. The vibrant red that usually emanates from the cyborg is a muted rose. Brother, don't say I've never gotten you anything. Here are your infernal stabilizers. And the magma squid is sedated and being held in that contraption the Goobles brought. Is it wise to have such a large, volatile creature on our craft? This almost makes up for you ignoring all of my Breath of Creation celebrations. Brother, you may mourn the loss of dusty old scientists, but I have better things to celebrate that day. Do I dare inquire what you plan on doing with the beast? I promise nothing macabre will happen to it. I'm not one of those chimeran butchers from the biofarms, as you know. I have long theorized that creating behemoths was possible. By changing the distance between atoms, we should see no loss of mass. And this creature will become more dense as a result of the growth. So then we'll have a giant, uncontrollable beast to contend with. This hardly seems practical. Fret not, dear sister. Do you remember the collars used on your beloved war dogs during their training? I will implant a device that will help direct the creature. It is great to see you so excited, little brother. Is it safe to assume that Harbinger is recovered and has agreed to this plan of yours? I'd hate to see your enthusiasm quenched by their disapproval. Unfortunately, Harbinger is still in stasis. Now that we have the stabilizers, I will be able to spin the excess energy from them and safely bring them back online. To do so earlier could be catastrophic. So now that we have the means to awaken our friend, you will be pausing your experiment until they can give their input. Is that correct, brother? 
The aura of events remains fluid at this time. Unless you disagree, I think it behooves us to let Harbinger rest a while longer. They do seem peaceful. Do you ever wonder what cyborgs dream of? As the reptilian siblings continue their plotting, the dormant Harbinger's internal processes are being flooded by the energy they absorbed from the Guardian's world anvil attack. The tank of Vitre has kept the cyborg physically intact, but their consciousness is being overwhelmed by flashes of forgotten memories. As they struggle to make sense of the onslaught of information, they find themselves standing in a corridor. The graded metal floors and exposed wiring and pipes all have yellow tint as floor lights cast an eerie glow. Where? Why? Why do I sound like this? Raising their hands, they see a silver bracelet on their left hand and a single silver ring on their right. Staring into a reflective plate, they once again see the blue skin from their previous reclaimed memory. An unfamiliar face with short dark hair and striking red eyes stares back at them. So, this again. Odd that I'm cognizant and not merely reliving a memory. Did you get lost? We need to chart our next jump before the Guardians catch up to us. Harbinger quickly moves down the corridor and reflexively opens the middle of three doors. Stepping into a small chamber designed for a crew of five, they find only one chair occupied. CL Jenny, you're here. What's going on? Who else would it be? Look, I told you, we needed more crew, but you're the one who didn't want to risk the Guardians killing more of our friends. The Guardians are here? Where are we? You tell me. You put in these coordinates. Gaia, what sector of space did my betrothed send us to? Coordinates entered by Pan Vahan place us in Sector 2814. Quite the uncivilized sector, if you ask me. No planet has achieved interstellar travel yet. Guardian ships detected in the sector. No. Not again. Gaia, prepare for a skip maneuver. If we do enough quick jumps, we should lose them. It will fail and you will die. I don't know about you, but I don't plan on dying until the universe is free from the Guardians. Please, who am I? What am I supposed to do? You're my love, the brightest star in the void, and the only one that can save us from the Guardians. Scarlet pushes through bushes and is met by the view of Jay leading Benny, Hanuel, and Gwen across the creek. She pauses as her eyes lock with Benny's for a moment before moving towards the mysterious hatch. So Cleverboy93's idea was exactly what I needed. It allowed my tracker to isolate our bracelet's wavelength, and we found a similar wavelength emanating from here. So this Cleverboy is smarter than you? I didn't think that was possible. I wouldn't say smarter. There is only so much I can know about at any given time. It's good to know that if we break our J, there's a backup out there. Hey, there's no replacing our little J. 
They're one of a kind. What are we looking at? I thought you said you found a spaceship or something. Technically, I said there was the possibility the hatch would lead to an alien craft. I think they're right. I've been checking for the organic metal... Liquid, liquid metal. metal. Jinx. 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 Anyway, I think whatever is below us isn't super huge. It's only around 40 meters wide. So there is something as big as my house underneath us? Do we know it's not some crazy doomsday prepper cult or something? Unless the preppers have stumbled on our bracelet's unique wavelength, which I guess is not a mathematical impossibility? I, I think we're going to be okay. The teens gather around the metallic hatch. As their braceleted wrists pass over it, a section of the hatch glows a corresponding color. Once the last hand is pulled away, the hatch slides open, revealing a metallic tube that descends into darkness. Did anyone bring rope? How deep can it be? Someone grab a rock. Stand back. I got this. Uh, uh, Geronimo! Uh, Gwen, Hanuel, Jay, and Scarlet can only watch as Benny disappears into the darkness. The teens lean over the opening and peer inside. If he broke his legs, I'm not carrying him back to my truck. Benny? You alive down there? What do you see? Jay, you're gonna love this! It looks like the Centennial Eagle from Star Wars! Does he mean the Millennium Falcon? He just saw the movie last weekend. Let's just let him have this. One by one, the teens drop through the open hatch. Forming a small circle, they survey an alien craft that has been hidden for an untold amount of time. The floors are graded metal, and exposed wiring and pipes can be seen in the walls and ceiling. Floor lights slowly flicker on, casting the large room in a yellow tint. Crates, both broken and intact, are seen throughout the area. This is amazing. We are standing in an actual alien craft. Oh, frack. My camera. I left it in the car. Can someone give me a boost so I can... Oh, that's probably not good. We're now the stars of a horror movie. Look around. If some monster was alive when this crashed, it would have been long dead by now. Alien viruses could be a thing, though. At this point, we've already caught alien chicken pox, so let's see what's down there. I'm calling dibs on flying this thing if that ever becomes an option. You think you'll be able to figure out how to start the engines? I'm fairly certain we're not just going to find the keys lying around. Depending on the energy source, and considering this is an interstellar craft, the engines will probably start up with some repairs to the starboard wave auto sequence. How could you possibly know that? I read a lot. Look at the damage. This thing fell from space and just barely cracked the surface? Something this big should have left a crater. So it wasn't an uncontrolled crash? The pilot was able to pull a launch pad and minimize the damage? Oh, hey, check these out. I think these are... weapons or something. Those look like batons! Let me see! Oh, unbelievable! This is almost seamless! But I think if I do this... Jay rotates the bottom of the one-meter cylinder, and the tip begins to glow. And now it's on. Oh! <laughs> What does 
on me. Oh, looks like a stun baton. Ooh. Oh, this might be a prison ship. Check out this breastplate. It's like stretchy metal. I wish my football pads fit this well. Should we really be looting what is essentially an alien tomb? Has that ever gone well in any piece of fiction? He's right. Let's not disturb anything we don't have to. Our priority is to find the source of the signal and repower our tech. Grab a stun rob, just in case, and let's get moving. The group begins to cautiously move towards the lone door, each gripping an activated stun rod and Benny still wearing his pilfered chestplate. Benny quickens his pace and approaches Scarlet. Hey, Scar. How have you been? Fine. You know, Carter has been asking about you. He misses you. I'll call him tonight and say hi. Damn it, Scar. I'm trying. You're trying to what? Talk. You know, get back to normal. Really? Here? We're walking around an alien spaceship, breathing in God knows what and probably catching space pox. But no, let's stop and talk about our feelings. So there are feelings to talk about. I swear, Benny, if you don't shut up, I'll... They usually don't sound so... aggressive. At least we know we're in the right place. The door the teens were moving towards slides shut, and a small panel opens above it. A small projector-like lens extends out and begins to display life-size alien figures. Five figures stand before the young heroes. A stocky crimson with four arms. A cobalt quadruped with spider-like limbs. A tall and lanky rose humanoid. A bouncing pint-sized emerald entity. And a massive mountain of black mass. Uh... Whoa, this is just like episode four! Whoa. <sighs> Who are they supposed to be? The old guard on the ship? I think these are other guardians. There. Each one of our colors. What if we're wearing their old bracelets? That's a reasonable hypothesis. The ship crashed and, and bracelets need new hosts, but why did it take so long? Has no one noticed the door has closed? I don't think these are just for show. Benny casually approaches the crimson holographic figure. This is so cool. We have to try to take this home. A punch from the crimson hologram knocks Benny off his feet. He slides to stop in front of Scarlet. Oh, 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 Benny! Ouch! I thought these were holograms. They seem to be of the hard light variety. That doesn't sound like a good thing for us. That's an understatement. They're hard when they need to be and light when they want. <sighs> I can vouch for the hard. What's the plan? Are we taking down these wannabe guardians? We have to get that door open. The tech team will handle the door and the tank team will hold off the light brights. 
Scarlet, Benny, and Gwen engage the holographic combatants, while Jay and Hanuel attempt to sneak towards the closed door. How much time do you both need? Who knows? Old alien ship with advanced technology? We're definitely gonna need a few minutes. We already know it reacts to our Guardian tech. We just have to figure out how to either activate or bypass the lock. I know this is probably not the right response considering the eminent threat, but I am absolutely loving this. Jay, I feel exactly the same way. Is it only me or are these guys not on expert mode? They must be programmed just to capture us. With a blinding flash, the massive black entity pops out of existence as Scarlet lands a strike with her stun baton into its core. Oh, I think I figured something out. Hit them in the middle with the stun baton. The electrical charge breaks up the hologram. I'm not gonna question why they designed something with a struck button right in the chest, but I'm loving it. I don't think they planned on whoever they were capturing to have the stun batons. I think these things were meant to support the guardians on the ship. If this thing follows even the most rudimental rules of electrical work, you might be able to just short out the mechanism that moves the door and manually force it open. My thoughts exactly! Typically, I would be appalled at damaging technology like this, but dire times require dire actions. Let's go, people! The five teens scurry through the door and close it behind them. Jay and Hanuel recreate the procedure that unlocked the door in an attempt to lock the remaining holographic guardians in place. That was easier than I thought it would be. <sighs> oh, come on. Are you kidding me? What did I do now? Have you never watched a single horror movie? The moment you say something like, this was easy or it can't get any worse, it gets worse. It is true. That is one of the most common tropes in cinema. Will you guys relax? We're not in a movie. Everything's gonna be fine. Seriously, it's like you're purposely trying to kill us. Does anybody hear that? Sounds like huh. bees. Oh, I swear if you released some cybernetic bees, we're leaving you behind, Benny. As the young heroes feverishly look around the corridor they find themselves in, a blue holographic arm reaches through the door. The four exasperated teens all look at Benny. Uh, <laughs> at least it's not cybernetic bees. Come on, let's go. The quintet of teens hurriedly rushes down the corridor and pauses when they reach an intersection. Each path is a closed door, and behind them, five reconstituted holographic guardians continue to approach. Uh, which door should I open? Or should we split up? Statistically speaking, giving them more targets might give us a better chance. You never split the party! That's how Bobby died! Who the hell is Bobby? My half-orc barbarian. Oh 
We split the party when we were in the dungeon, and I was by myself and I couldn't handle the gelatinous cube. If there's a gelatinous cube behind one of these doors, I refuse to get dissolved again. Hold up. You play D&D? Not the time. Jay, you're the sci-fi expert. In almost every show, where's the bridge of the ship? The highest deck or the front of the ship? Uh, since this ship appears to only have one level, it's safe to assume that we need to get to the front of the ship. The young inventor turns quickly to the middle door and deactivates another locking mechanism. The group slides open the door and sprints forward, not bothering to close it behind them. Each of their five bracelets begins to glow brightly as they find themselves in a small chamber with five chairs spread out around a bank of computers. Two chairs in the front have matching yokes in front of them. The entire room is covered with dust and darkness, except for a lone glowing monitor. Welcome, Guardians. Oh, Gaia! Why in the world are you trying to kill us? Sorry about that, Nova Knight. The ship's defensive parameters must have been activated as I was on standby mode. Just give me one quick second and I'll shut those things down. Does Gaia sound different? When did he get so casual? Not that I'm complaining, it's just weird. Finally being at its core, we must be getting the truest feed of Gaia. Ah, oh, the signal was weak to our bracelets, so we were getting a stripped-down version of it. So, does that mean it can finally give us some answers about these bracelets and everything that's going on? Pyre Paladin, it would be my pleasure to let you know everything that I can. I do have to warn you that my memory banks were damaged in the crash, so my knowledge is a little hit or miss, but I promise I will do my best. Well, start at the beginning. What are the Guardians and what are these bracelets? The Guardians are an intergalactic force of order charged with removing chaos and anarchy from the universe. The damaged ship entered the planet's atmosphere and after ejecting the Titan Bay crashed roughly 1,000 years ago into the surface. I was offline for hundreds of years, and once I regained a form of consciousness, I spent 500 years crawling to the surface before going into sleep mode. Your bracelets and rings are an experimental prototype of standard issue Guardian technology. Your bracelets pull from this planet's unique source and do not connect to the universal source the Guardians usually pull from. Our bracelets lost their charge after we battled Harbringer. How do we recharge? The answer is super simple, Druidic Defender. Simply tap into what you call the ley lines. The energy that flows in and around this planet is the purest form of the source that has ever been found. It is why Pan Vahan piloted here. Pan Vahan? The greatest guardian. He was lost in the crash. Such a loss for the universe. A threat has been detected at the marina. Guardians, you're needed. We still need to know how to recharge our bracelets. 
I will teleport you to the nearest nexus point. Invoke your chosen mantra and the energies will flow through you. Wait, what, what mantra? I don't have a mantra. Trust in the source. The teens step out of the portal and find themselves in a densely wooded area. Should we be concerned that there's nothing here? I, I expected something to be here. Like what? I, I don't know. Something magical or, or mystical. Gaia wouldn't send us here by accident. Everyone take a look around. There has to be some sort of power battery or conduit. Are we even sure it's a physical thing we're looking for? What are you talking about? If it's not a physical thing, how do we find it? We're dealing with ley lines and something called the source. I think we need to broaden our search parameters. <sighs> Maybe I could rewire my tracker and try to isolate- Shut up. I know it's not the best idea, but- Jade, stop talking! Everyone just shut up for a second. Do you hear that? I don't hear anything. Yeah, me neither. Scarlet reaches towards the sky with her left hand. Scarlet? I call upon the blinding tempest. Electricity crackles from each fingertip and coalesces into a rotating sphere of energy in her palm. Lowering the sphere, she raises her ring until the sparks begin to reach towards it. As the sphere leaps from her left hand to her right, she quickly slams her sparking fist into the ground. I am spontaneity and strength. Electricity crawls up her right arm and across her back before being swallowed by her glowing bracelet. Whoa! How did you know how to do that? Just listen, the ley lines will tell you. The ley lines will tell us. That makes no sense. Uh, energy, even magical energy, can't talk. I know it sounds crazy, but just focus on your energy and the energy from your bracelet. It's not crazy. Most of us are searching, consciously or unconsciously, for a degree of internal balance, a, a harmony between ourselves and the outside world. We just need to open up. You heard Guru Yasu. The city needs us. Let's find our balance. The four teens close their eyes and raise their left hands upwards. I call upon the devastating force. I call upon the unrelenting wave. I call upon the eternal flame. I call upon the immovable monolith. Fire flickers from Benny's fingertips. A small cyclone dances from the fingertips of Hanuel. Water flows across Gwen's hand and Jay's hand resembles gauntleted stone. The respective energies form into spheres before switching to the teens' ringed hands. The balls of energy are slammed into the soil at their feet. I am hope and loyalty. I am adaptation and perseverance. I am passion and justice. I am life and ingenuity. Elemental energy swims across the teens before disappearing into their bracelets. I knew you would figure it out. Opening Leyline Portal to Monster Sight. I would suggest you all dress appropriately. Guardians, engage! Druidic Defender! Fire Paladin! Nova Knight! Storm Sentinel! Hydro Hoplite! 
A despondent Desdemona sits with Reginald and absent-mindedly picks at a plate of french fries and a half-finished sandwich. Are you still fuming over Hanuel? He's a douche nozzle. You know he'll want all the attention on himself at Winter Formal. What? Him? Whatever. I had my heart set on my color palette and now I have to start from scratch. The pressing concern is what he said about me. Do I rub people the wrong way? Not anyone that matters. Reggie, these things are popularity contests. People have to like me. What is wrong with these plebs? I'm everything they wish they were. I'm pretty and rich. Approaching the teens is the proprietor of the eatery, Johnny Dakota. Dressed as a 19th century whaler with an authentic harpoon strapped to his back, Johnny carries a tray with an assortment of small sandwiches. Each sandwich is wrapped, displaying the logo, Hoagie Quick. There are two truths that I abide by. One, Hoagie's Quick is the home of Dragon's Cove's quickest sandwich. And two, to live your truth in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is like hitting the tube on a bomb. You're on your own, but you feel amazing. Do you want to be true, or do you want to be popular? Why can't it be both? <laughs> because normies are jealous of us. Johnny just wants us to be more like everybody else. Au contraire, mon frere. You should always be yourself. Forcing yourself into someone else's shoes just leaves you with blisters. Most people are just echoes. Reverbs of a bigger sound. Their thoughts are someone else's. Their lives follow a path not of their choosing. But there is some safety in the mimicry. Unless those sandwiches have special lettuce, I'm not going to be understanding any of your ramblings. Reaching out of the bay, the magma squid begins to destroy everything its tentacles can grasp. People scatter as benches and light poles are ripped from the ground. Shifting away from Desdemona and Reginald, Johnny unsheathes his harpoon and makes his way towards the writhing tentacles. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee, ye damned whale. With remarkable skill, Johnny uses his harpoon to keep tentacles from grasping his patrons. Have at thee! Desi, come on, this way! The two teens dash away from the fight between the surfing sandwich maker and the aquatic beast. A flick of a massive tentacle flings a trash can towards Desdemona. Reginald stops and pushes her to the ground as the receptacle slams into him. He stumbles a few steps and falls to one knee but remains upright. As blood begins to trickle down his face, he pulls Desdemona to her feet. That is gonna hurt tomorrow. Are you okay? Oh my god! I can't die! I haven't been crowned prom queen yet!
Stepping out of the portal, the five armored guardians rush to aid Johnny as he battles with a broken harpoon. Battered and bruised, he is relentless in the parrying of the powerful strikes. Come on. Keep it coming. Citizen, we've got this. Head to safety. I'll fight him around the hood, and around the Norway maelstrom, and around Perdition's flames before I give up. Johnny, go help Reginald and Desdemona now. This is not the time for heroics. As Johnny moves to aid the wounded teens, the Guardians step into his place. Let's make some sushi! Flame Hammer! No way I'm letting Johnny D show me up. Win Chakrams! Let's drive this thing back to wherever it came from. Aqua Sword! Do you think that this lodge shouldn't be on our waters? What if there's an audience of these squids? Earth Shield! Oh, if there's more, we'll send them back too. Lightning Lance! Back at the hidden base, Hira and Erailed observe the action on a collection of monitors. Erailed types commands while Hira casually snacks from a bucket. That surface dweller with the spear was quite competent. But now we have finally arrived at the main event. Are you certain your device will perform as you hope, dear brother? Dear sister, at worst, the magma squid explodes and we no longer have to worry about the Guardians. The excess Guardian energy we siphoned from Harbinger and transferred to the stabilizers should have the hypothesized effect. It's time to put your cellrose where your mouth is. Newtonium Polar Stabilizers! Make my monster grow! The magma squid begins to softly glow as the Guardians stare confusedly. What's it doing? No idea. Some species use bioluminescence to draw in prey, so it could be trying to trick us. So, what's the plan? Are we just going to subdue it with a staring contest? We can assemble the world, Anvil. Let's end this quickly. Anyone concerned that this just might be a scared animal? The other monsters were sentient. This one hasn't said a word. The glow intensifies and the magma squid begins to grow in size. In mere seconds, the monster has grown to ten times its original size. The 60-meter-tall entity rises from the water, exposing a maw that could swallow a school bus. Calamari sauce. Tubular Teens with Titans is written and produced by Velvet Fiend Rabbit Productions. Our theme song, Thundersword 
is written and produced by Ahmad Judah and Joe Chasm, with lyrics and vocals by Keisha Wallace. If you liked what you just heard, please head over to the podcast service of your choice and leave us a rating and a review. It truly helps more people find the show. Tubular Teeth with Titans features the vocal talents of... I'm Bri Zachary, and I play the Druidic Defender, Jay Terror. My name is Chris Van, and I play the Pyre Paladin, Benny Humo. I'm Tim Loika, and I play Storm Sentinel, Hanuel Yasuo. I'm Keisha Wallace, and I play the Hydro Hoplite, Gwyn Avalon. Sup, I'm Allegra Rodriguez Shivers, and I play the Nova Knight, also known as Scarlet Watts. I'm Shane Cochran, and I voice Erailed. I'm JJ Jensen, and I play Hera. I'm Michael Waldschlager II, and I play Harbinger. I'm Noah, and I play Johnny Dakota. Kyle Gould as Reginald Thaddeus III. This is Ian, and I'm playing Rick. I'm Shane Patrick, and I play the narrator.